I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And good morning. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the winning of the lost and the edification of God's saints. Gospel Dynamite is a ministry of Asbury Baptist Church located at 218 Asbury Church Road, Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. Now will you join me in studying the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I ask you to take your Bible, turn with us to Genesis chapter 41. We begin in verse 54. We'll go to chapter 42 and verse 8. Chapter 41, Genesis, verse 54. And the seven years of dearth, that is famine, began to come according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all lands. In all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. And Pharaoh said unto all the Egyptians, Go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. And the famine was over all the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine waxed sore in the land of Egypt. And all countries came to Egypt to Joseph for to buy corn, because that the famine was so sore in all lands. Now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, Why do you look one upon another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down thither and buy for us from this, that we may live and not die. And Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's brother, Jacob sat not with his brethren, for he said, Lest peradventure, or perhaps, mischief befall him. And the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land, and Jake, uh, Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brethren, and he knew them, but made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Whence come ye? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew him not. Some 21 years have passed since Joseph was sold by his own brothers into slavery. Now much has happened in Joseph's life since that time. There have been many valleys, many trials. There have been many mountaintops and victories as well. The boy has become a man. And the slave has become prime minister. The passage we have before us today allows us to see many of the events of this man's life come full circle. Joseph sees his brothers again after 21 years. The last time they met, Joseph was one of the ones who was most at a disadvantage. His brothers treated him roughly and cast him into a pit. This time, the shoe is on the other foot. This time, they're treated roughly, and they're thrown into prison. 
When Joseph's brothers see him after all that time, they do not recognize him at all. Joseph, however, recognizes them. And God uses this encounter to work in the lives of these ten brothers of Joseph. Now God uses these events to resurrect the conscience they silenced many years ago. Today I want to talk about and speak about the resurrecting of a dead conscience. I want us to learn what the conscience is what it does, and how it can be protected. I want to show you from these verses how the conscience is seared, how the conscience is stirred, and finally, how the conscience is saved. Before we consider those thoughts, let's talk about just what the conscience is and what it does. Now, let's first talk about what the conscience is. The dictionary defines a conscience as the inner sense of what is right or wrong in one's conduct or motives impelling one toward right action. The Greek word means to know together. The conscience is a gift from God to all men, according to Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. It gives mankind the power of moral judgment. And it appears some 31 times in the New Testament. The conscience entreats us to do what we believe is right and restrains us from what we believe is wrong. The conscience is not to be equated with the voice of God. It is a human faculty that judges our actions and thoughts by the light of the highest standard we perceive. And when we violate our conscience, it condemns us. It triggers feelings of shame, anguish, re regret, consternation, anxiety, distress, disgrace, and even fear. And when we follow our conscience, it commends us, bringing joy, serenity, self-respect, well-being, and gladness. So the conscience acts as a rudder for the soul. It's not a guide, but it's an early warning system which tells us that danger is ahead. When we go against the warnings of our conscience, it punishes us with feelings of guilt, shame, and regret. When we honor the conscience, it rewards us with feelings of peace and happiness and joy. Now, one writer said that a violated conscience is a flash of hell. Another writer has been noted by saying that when we honor a conscience, it rewards us with a pat on the back from God. Now, I won't go that far, but in effect, it gives us a sense of reprieve and a sense of accomplishment of doing what is right when we avoid danger by listening to our conscience. Regardless of how it may seem at times, everyone has a conscience. And if that is true, then why can some people do the things they do and have no shame, no guilt, or remorse for their actions? For instance, how can someone destroy innocent life in the name of their God? Or how can some women abort babies with no remorse? Questions of that nature could go on forever. But I will say this, the conscience is not infallible, nor is it a source of revelation about right and wrong. 
Its role is not to teach us moral or ethical ideas, but it is to hold us accountable to the highest standards of right and wrong that we know. Thus, the conscience can only react to what it knows and what it has been taught. If the conscience is taught that the Bible is the word of God and that is the, it is the supreme standard for right and wrong, the conscience will react when there is any deviation from the teachings of the word of God. If the conscience is taught that Islam, Mormonism, Hinduism, etc. is the truth, it will react when those standards are about to be violated. If the conscience is taught that cursing, drinking, or wicked living are right, the conscience will have no problem with those things. Do you get the idea? Every conscience needs instruction. Its delicate mechanism, if you will, has been thrown off balance by the fall of man. And just as a bullet will reach the bullseye only if the two sights on the gun are in correct alignment, so correct moral judgments are delivered only when the conscience is correctly aligned with the truth of the word of God. Now that's why it can be very dangerous to let your conscience be your guide. That might be a good practice if the conscience has been trained in the right way. However, the conscience has been given a false standard of truth, and it will guide you in that direction, and you will be led even deeper into your error. Having said that, the conscience is still a great gift from God, and most people are born with some sense of what is right and what is wrong. And that's because God has written his law into the heart of man, according to Romans 2 and verse 15. Thus, if you filled this room with atheists today, most of, most of them would agree with us that murder, stealing, and such like are wrong. Those things violate our conscience. And most people believe they are wrong. And I want to continue, continue to consider the conscience as we move through the passage today. Joseph's brothers had long ago silenced their consciences, but God is about to bring to life what they killed long ago. First, I want to show you from the passage here how the conscience is seared. If you remember the story of the early years of Joseph's life, you will remember that his brothers sold him as a slave, killed an animal, put the animal's blood on their brother's coat. Jacob assumed the worst. He bought into the lie and declared that Joseph must have been killed by a wild animal. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 31 through 33. Then old Jacob entered a time of mourning that lasted over 20 years. As they sold their brother, watched his captors haul him away, it must have tugged at their hearts. When they lied to their father and saw the grief and the anguish on his face, and as they lived with that grief year after year, it must have touched them on some level. But as time passed, the feelings of remorse and guilt were silenced. After a while, they probably thought of Joseph less and less. They may have even come to the place where they believed their own lies. These brothers seared their consciences. 
They came to the place where their hearts stopped speaking to them about their guilt. The Bible tells us that it is possible for a person to do just that. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 says, Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. The verse here refers to people who have ignored their conscience to the point that it no longer speaks to them. They have silenced the warning system until it can no longer be heard. This is a tragic place to be. Reminds me of a story in 1984 when an airliner was flying over Spain. It crashed into a mountain. Everyone on the jet died instantly. When the investigators found the black box, they were amazed as they listened to the recording from the cockpit in the minutes prior to the crash. The plane's collision avoidance system began to speak to the pilot, warning him of, of an object that was in the flight path of the plane. The co computerized voice of a female speaking English was heard to say, pull up, pull up, pull up, over and over and over again. After a few moments of that, the pilot was heard to say, Shut up, gringo! Shut up, gringo! And with that, the pilot turned off the system. He ignored the warning, he flipped the switch, and moments later, everyone was dead. This is exactly what happens when the conscience is ignored. When we start to do something that we know is wrong, the conscience tells us to pull up. Pull up! And if we heed the voice and pull up, all is well. If we ignore the voice and do as we please, we've begun the process of searing the conscience. The next time, the voice of the conscience will not be heard as loudly or as clearly. If we continue to ignore our internal warning system, the conscience will eventually stop warning us at all. Every time we ignore the voice of the conscience, we are retraining the conscience. We're teaching it that things which it believed were harmful now seems to be okay. When we retrain the conscience, we are headed toward a crash. Now, of course, our culture tells us that we need to silence the voice of guilt. They say that only weak people have problems with right and wrong because there really is no right or wrong. Everything is relative. Our culture tells us to silence your conscience. We must be careful how we treat the conscience, because if the conscience tells us something is harmful, we need to heed the voice of our warning system. It is dangerous to go against the conscience when it sends out a warning. And if we ignore the signals that it sends us, we will eventually silence the voice of our conscience. And when the conscience says pull up, we must never say shut up. This can be best illustrated by a story. Friends of mine who have a dog, they keep in their yard. They use one of those invisible fences to keep the dog inside. And those things work by inflicting an electrical shock 
through a collar on the dog's neck when he gets too close to the fence. Now, before the dog gets the shock, he gets a series of beeps. And these beeps are a warning sign that the dog needs to turn around or he's going to get into trouble. This old dog knew what this fence could do. But if he saw something outside the yard that he really wanted, he'd still go get it. That dog would back up as far away from the fence as he could get. He would bare his teeth and he would start to run toward the fence. Before he got to it, he would start to howl and he would run right through the pain. That dog learned that if he ran far enough, he would get beyond the range of the fence. The pain would stop. He could go where he wanted to. He ignored the warning signs so he could escape the fences in his life. People who ignore the warning signs in their conscience are doing the same thing. They ignore the pain in their heart, and they keep running until the signal stops. And my friend, that's a dangerous game. As I said, the conscience must be trained. The conscience is not infallible. That is, it's not totally trustworthy at all. It only knows what it's been taught. And as a result, some people have an overactive conscience. They're referred to in Romans chapter 14 and 15. People who've been raised in an atmosphere of legalism, who've been taught that everything is wrong, tend to have a very sensitive conscience. They may believe that some things are wrong, but when those things are in fact not wrong at all. The conscience can be trained by tradition. That person needs to retrain the conscience by teaching it the truth of the word of God. By the same token, some believers have a strong conscience and they know that they have liberty in the Lord. However, they must also take into account their weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. They must not do things that would cause a brother or sister in Christ with a weaker conscience to violate his or her conscience. That's a clear teaching of 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Now be careful that you do not sear your conscience. The word sear gives our word, English word, cauterize. And when a wound is cauterized, heat is used to seal off blood vessels to stop bleeding. The word originally meant to brand, to mark by branding. Branding causes a scar, and a scar had no nerve endings. It cannot feel. A conscience that becomes seared is a conscience that ceases to feel. Don't let that happen to you. But then we should also notice that the conscience must be stirred. The brothers of Joseph have allowed their hearts to become hard. They have seared their consciences. They have ceased to feel. And in these verses, the Lord uses several events to bring their consciences back to life. By the way, God knows how to rip out the callous parts of your heart. God used problems here to stir them. The problem God orchestrated to awaken the dead consciences of these men was a worldwide famine. And these men would have had no reason to go to Egypt otherwise. In fact, 
I believe they knew where Joseph was taken when they sold him as a slave in Genesis 37 and verse 28. And I believe that fact is exactly what they are thinking about in verse 1 when, jo when Jacob says, Why do you look upon another? These men had also heard that there was grain down in Egypt, and they was probably thinking, Egypt, that's where Joseph is. If we go down there, we might run into him. Well, the famine was beginning to awaken in them some feelings that they had buried long ago. God also used some people to stir them up. So these boys headed out to Egypt. Their father refuses to allow them to take Benjamin with them. Jacob's words in verse 4 seem to indicate that Jacob still had some doubts about their involvement in Joseph's disappearance. Now, the whole story just didn't make sense to the old man. And when the brothers arrive in Egypt, Joseph recognizes them right away in verses 6 through 8. Joseph had probably been waiting and watching for them to show up. They don't recognize him because he's adopted Egyptian dress and appearance. The Hebrews dressed in long robes. The Egyptians wore short robes. The Hebrews wore beards. Egyptian men shaved both their faces and their heads. Joseph uses this opportunity to turn the screws on these men. He speaks roughly to them in verse 7. He accuses them of being spies in verse 9. And when they're accused of being spies, they, they try to defend themselves in verses 10 through 14. Then Joseph concocts a plan to really make them sweat. First, he demands that they send one of their number back home to get Benjamin and bring him back as proof of their story. They protest, and Joseph throws them in prison for three days. Then Joseph allows nine of the brothers to return home to get Benjamin while one of them returns behind in prison. Having no choice, that's what they do. Now, I went through all of that to remind you that God will do what it takes to awaken your conscience when you allow it to become seared. These men would have never thought of Joseph again had it not been for the famine. And the famine drove them to Egypt. The trip to Egypt brought them face to face with their brother. Their treatment in Egypt awakened thoughts in their hearts that had lain dormant for two decades. And God used some harsh measures to get their attention but they were there exactly where he wanted them to be. They were on the road to repentance and renewal. If you belong to God, you allow your conscience to become hardened, you need to know that you're going to wander off into sin. Your conscience will cease to warn you of evil, and you will fall away. But you, if you are his, he will not allow you to remain in that condition forever. He will come and get you, and he will use whatever it takes to awaken your conscience for Joseph's brothers, God used problems, people, and pain. For David, God used a man of God who was willing to confront a king. For Samson, God used a Philistine prison, the loss of his eyes and the loss of his strength. For Peter, God used a little girl at a Roman fire. Who knows what he will use in your life and mine? But one thing's sure, he will use whatever it takes to get our attention to resurrect the conscience that we have tried to kill. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. But I leave you with this, how the conscience is saved. 
The story continues. The brothers have reached a place where their consciences have come back to life. They're certain that their troubles all stem from their treatment of Joseph. They confess their sin in verses 21 through 23, not knowing that Joseph could uh, understand their language, a secret that's been remained buried for 20 years, bubbles up to the surface. He sends the nine brothers home. He keeps Simeon in prison. He sends his brothers home with the grain that they need to live. He also puts their money back in their sacks. And when they find this, they're filled with fear and with the conviction that God is actively working in their lives, verse 28. They think that God is out to get them for what they have done. They think that God is intent on their destruction. In reality, God is intent on bringing them back to himself. As I said, God knows how to get our attention. Now, if we take anything away from this chapter today is this, the truth that the conscience can be cleansed. If we have allowed our conscience to become dirty and damaged, it can be restored. Let me take a moment to show you how you can restore your conscience to a place of purity. Number one, we have to confess and forsake all known sin. Consider your life in the light of the Word of God. Deal with your sins, God's ways, and get them out into open confession. That's exactly what Joseph's brothers did, and it is what we must do today. Secondly, seek forgiveness and reconciliation from all of those who may have wronged us or we have, may have wronged. Before we can be right with God, we must be right with our fellow man. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, chapter 6, and verses 14 and 15. Thirdly, make restitution to those who have wronged us, if possible. The Old Testament commanded this in Numbers chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. The New Testament reaffirms this as well in Philemon 19 as well as Luke 19 and verse 8. Number four, don't wait to cleanse a wounded conscience. When you violated your conscience by ignoring its voice, deal with your guilt immediately. If you allow your guilt to remain, it will fester and your spiritual life will only deteriorate. Get things right fast. Number five. Educate your conscience. If you have a conscience that is easily violated, train it correctly in the ways and the things of God. Feed it on the pure word of God, not the teachings and traditions of man. Psalm 119 verse 11. We must train our conscience on the word of God. Do not train your conscience based on what your parents say. Do not train your conscience based on old traditions. Train your conscience on the word of God. To have a pure conscience, you must train it on God and God alone. Now, in closing, friend, let me say this. People may silence the conscience in their lives, but one day it will speak loud and clear. When you stand at the judgment seat of Christ, your conscience will be agreed with every judgment handed down by a holy God. Every person under the sound of my voice must look within and examine the condition of his or her conscience. Is your conscience pure? Is it helping you to live for Christ? Is it sounding the alarm when you approach thin ice in your life? Or are you telling it to be quiet, to shut up? Are you telling it to go away? Has God spoken to you? My friend, maybe your conscience has spoken to you in a long time. Today would be a good time for you to come back to God and start the purification process of your soiled and your seared conscience. If God's speaking to you, you come to him. You do what God is telling you to do. 